You're listening to the Knowing Motherhood Podcast. I'm your host, Linnell Peters, and it's an honor to walk alongside you in motherhood, whether the journey is just beginning or you're right in the thick of it. I believe that your worth as a mother is not based on your performance and that your greatest strength is the love that you have for your children, whether they're in your arms or only in your heart. My prayer is that this little corner of the podcast world will leave you feeling more equipped, more hopeful, and less alone than when you arrived. This week, um, we released another new episode, and my guest Krista Green shared so vulnerably on the topic of trauma and PTSD and her own experience of walking through this disorder as a mother with young children. Our conversation was very thorough and informative, and I encourage you to go listen to it if you haven't yet. Uh, Today is episode 39, and it is a bonus episode. Krista is the founder and the content creator at um, Zone3VegetableGardening.com. And we connected because while we are in different provinces in Western Canada, we both live in the same planting zone. Krista is a homesteading wife and mother of three, and she loves helping other gardeners, especially those who do so with cooler temperatures like we have and shorter growing seasons. I hope you take away a ton of great tips from this conversation and that you enjoy the humor and all of my aha moments as it becomes clear why I had so many issues with my garlic this year. (laughs) Let's listen in to my conversation with Krista Green. So Krista, thank you so much for um, being willing to share uh, your story of PTSD and what that has looked like for you and your family. And uh, you just shared so many incredible um, and helpful bits of advice and encouragement for the mothers. And I appreciate it so much. Um And today we're going to talk about a more lighthearted topic, but something that you also are very passionate about, and that is gardening in zone three that we both love. We both are just, we both love gardening and it's been so much fun just kind of getting to go back and forth on social media about this. Um, Tell me uh, again, like what prompted you to start your zone three gardening uh, website and some of the things that you offer to other gardeners what what's the passion there for you and what what's got you started yes so yes thank you for having me back i always love speaking with you lanelle and uh yeah so my website that i started zone three vegetable gardening and instagram i'm very active on sharing about gardening what got me started with that was when we moved from in town to four acres and I all of a sudden had all the space to garden and tried to grow a big vegetable garden and it was a flop. My beets were the size of golf balls. I just ended up chucking them because I didn't want to bother <laughs> cooking them and my carrots were probably no bigger than as long as my finger or fingers. And um, so that first year, I felt really, really discouraged. I used to work at a greenhouse for quite a while when I was younger. We always had a family garden growing up. My mom gardened, my grandma gardened, and I just thought, you know, it's it, it's in my genetics. I'll know how to grow a garden. And uh, yeah, I felt really discouraged when I felt like 
maybe I can't garden. Maybe I was wrong. Maybe we should move back to town. So through that journey, I'm figuring out why is my garden not growing? What can I change? I, I tried to search out others that were gardening in zone three or other Alberta gardeners. And a lot of what I was finding was coming from warmer climates. And so I kind of thought, you know, if I figure this out, if, if I learn, I want to share with other people because it just trying to learn it all yourself without a mentor is hard. So I hope I can be a mentor. I hope as I learn, definitely not saying I know it all, but as I learn tips, as I learn things, hopefully I can share those with other people and make their gardening experience much less painful and more successful and a lot more fun. And I've actually really noticed that and appreciated that about you. We did a um, Instagram live together. How many months ago was that? was a few months oh, ago, hey? Yes, I feel like it was last spring and now it's November, so it Oh my goodness, really, yeah. hey? Yeah, you're right. Okay, and one of the things that I wanted to say that I appreciate, and I said this to you before, is your your willingness to learn. Um, like you're sharing all this information with your followers online and through your website. You just have all these awesome resources, but you're also really great at just inviting uh you're asking questions too and you're inviting conversation and that is so enjoyable for people who are coming and landing on your instagram and and stuff so i do love it a lot and okay so and and another thing i wanted to mention is that we are like you just said we're in november we just it's november 1st it's we've wrapped up our season and there's a lot of mixed feelings there. You guys have snow, right? You're in Alberta. We we're in do. BC. You've mm-hmm. got snow. We've we had do. one snow. Did yours stay? We still have snow. So last week it was down to um, like minus 14, minus 15 Celsius. So feels like, you know, minus 20, minus 25 with wind chill. Wow. So it was very, very cold here last week. And we probably wow. had at least eight inches of snow. This week and next week are supposed to be a little warmer. But definitely, we transition from fall into winter very quickly, a little bit harshly. Mm, wow, that is fast. I mean, we got snow. It froze, too. It got really quite cold. There was a bit of a, like, what do they call it? A polar vortex mm-hmm. um, that came through. Yeah, and it got pretty cold, but not nearly, not to that degree. Um, <laughs> so, but it's quite an adjustment. But um the season, wrapping up this season, I was hoping you and I would be able to actually have this conversation a little bit earlier in the fall so that we could get some good canning tips out there. But we're going to still tackle that today um, because whether or not we're kind of, you know, wrapping up a lot with this season, um, there are still things to can and there are still some of these tasks that women are um, tackling right now. And so it's all valuable whether you listen to it today or you listen to it in a year, right? Or six Mm -hmm. months or whatever. So the first thing I want to ask you about um, is garlic because I, as I told you earlier, I did not get my garlic in the ground before it froze. <laughs> so oh. I'm regretting that a little bit. Um, and there are some reasons for it. I just had prioritized other things and I did accomplish other goals. Um, everything came out of the garden, but I didn't get into the garden what I was hoping to. So what's the difference between planting garlic before the freeze? 
and planting spring garlic. Are there benefits? Are there pros and cons? Can you talk a little bit about that? Definitely. So I just realized, Lanelle, it's not too late for you to plant garlic. Your your ground isn't frozen because mine isn't either. I dug up for a soil test yesterday and, you know, the very surface might be a little bit frozen. But if you're warmer than me, you can still actually plant garlic right now. What? Yes, definitely. Oh, this is good news. This is good news. <laughs> so my first um, fall frost was actually the end of August. I think around August 25th I got frost. And I didn't plant my garlic until about 12 days ago, I want to say, just before it got really, really cold here. So you can plant your fall garlic well after your fall frost. And actually, you should be planting it probably about a month after your first fall frost. Um, you don't really want it to sprout and be above the ground in the fall and over the winter, but you want it in the ground. So as long as your soil is workable, you can still plant garlic. If your ground is frozen solid, obviously that will be much harder. So in the cold climates for growing garlic, we need to grow hard neck garlic. So the garlic you buy in the store from China, that's soft neck garlic, and that doesn't grow here. Soft neck garlic takes a longer growing season. It's meant to be planted more in spring weather, but to stay in the ground for, I don't know exactly how long, maybe six to eight months, which our growing season isn't that long. So what we have, we have hard neck garlic, and it actually triggers it to sprout when it gets cold. So we plant that in the ground in the fall. Um, one of the common problems with garlic, I just was chatting on, to somebody on Instagram today and hers rotted her first year. Mine did too. So one of the things with garlic is don't overwater it. When you plant it in the fall, if the ground's moist at all, you don't need to water it in. Like most plants, you know, like say carrot seeds need to be kept so moist so they'll germinate. Garlic right. you want on the drier side or it will rot on you. So okay. a little bit more of a sandy soil, if you have it, or if you can add in a bit of peat moss or something that's going to help it not be a waterlogged soil, does not like wet feet. You plant your garlic a lot deeper than you do, say, onions. You plant it um, about four to six inches deep. And um, where to buy garlic, I'm just going to touch on that because if people are new to growing garlic, now that we're talking about garlic, might as well share all my tips. You yes. can actually buy locally grown garlic in the grocery store and plant that. I have done that myself and it's worked really, really well. Okay. If there's any markets around, um, we have hutterites around us here that sell beautiful garlic that grows, works well as seed garlic. Most garlic, from what I understand, is not from the grocery store. Most Canadian garlic is not sprayed with an anti-sprouting agent. So that's the only thing you want to be aware of. Buying organic garlic might be a little bit beneficial to make sure hopefully it hasn't been sprayed with an anti-sprouting agent. But yeah, definitely if you can find a smaller garlic producer, they usually wouldn't treat their garlic. So yes, you can pick up your garlic even in the grocery store. If it's locally grown, it will be hardneck garlic. Um, hardneck garlic produces scapes in the next year. So usually you'll mulch your garlic to with straw or something like that over the winter. Some people say they don't mulch it and they've had success with that as well. I prefer straw to leaves because straw isn't quite as waterlogged as leaves sometimes mm, get okay. really cakey. And again, we don't want garlic to rot. Um, and 
you can do it in a raised bed. It definitely has to be a raised bed that is in contact with the ground because you don't want it to be thawing and freezing easily if you have some warm days in the summer. Mm-hmm. And then more mulch if it's in a raised bed. That's even more important than if it's in the ground. And um, yeah, garlic, I love it. I didn't, as I mentioned, I didn't get my garlic in the ground till just before a hard freeze. Did take me a bit to prepare the soil, but once the soil was prepared, you just break apart those cloves. You know, the little root end goes down, the pointy end up. You leave the peels on the garlic. Definitely don't take those off because those help protect it. And that might be an issue that I... Okay, let's talk about what I did wrong after. (laughs) Keep talking, keep talking. (laughs) Um, I like to add a little bit of bone meal. Is It has phosphorus in it, which is really important for root growth. So I add a little bone meal right into the hole and just a little bit of worm castings, like maybe a teaspoon or just kind of a pinch of each. And um, pretty much then you don't have to touch it till around mid to end of July when your garlic produces scapes. So scapes are a hard part that comes out of the center of the garlic and it curls around and it produces a seed pod on the end. Again, this only hard hard neck garlic produces scapes. You have to cut these scapes off once they make a full circle. If you don't, what happens is your garlic bulb ends up more like a shallot and it doesn't divide into cloves properly. That's what happened to mine. Oh, I'm so uh, thankful for this conversation. <laughs> growing garlic, I feel like it's one of those things, once you figure it out, it's so simple and it does not take much time. But there's a few key things. I'm just laughing uh, <laughs> because I'm like, you've said so many things already that are explaining why my garlic har- my garlic harvest this year was really poor. Oh yeah. You, okay, keep going. You needed to. Did you have you checked out my blog post on growing garlic? Because I, clearly I, I didn't. Clearly, do I you didn't. try and if you are a zone three grower, I am trying to accumulate posts on you know the carrots and the spinach. I have some tricks. If your spinach mm. bolts all the time, read my blog post on the topic growing corn. I have so many tips for you guys. So I hope you do yes. utilize my website because I really awesome. feel like. I've learned lots of tricks. Anyway, so yes, you cut those scapes off. The scapes are amazing in pesto, or you can fry them up, or you can chop them up and use them in in place of cloves in recipes. Mm. They're a little bit milder than um, garlic, and they have Mm. a very nice flavor. So definitely don't just throw those out. Use them up. And then once the bottom three, three leaves are completely dead on your garlic, that's when it's time to pull it out and harvest it. Right. When it after you harvest escapes, stop watering it. I talked about um, garlic has many more problems with being too wet than it does with being too dry. Right. If okay. your garlic's too wet, it's also uh, a lot more susceptible to the diseases that garlic can get. Where if it's on the dry side, a lot of those diseases um, can't grow in a drier environment. So yeah, then once you harvest, I don't know, we can go all the way through. Once you pull your garlic up, you just leave it to cure for a little while till those wrappers start to dry and then just break off the dirty wrappers, trim the roots, trim the dead tops off, and or you can braid it just in a regular braid and hang it somewhere. So yeah, yeah. garlic is, my two favorite things to grow are carrots and garlic. They're <gasps> both really? pretty easy and so rewarding. Okay, and I I can say this. I have three years' experience of growing carrots here and where we we live now. Um, 
and I've had great success with carrots. Oh, so good. I think I've got the carrots down, but I am absolutely going to be needing your <laughs> assistance <laughs> and your your posts and write-ups on garlic for this coming year because I have – so I – oh, man, we won't even go into it. But let's just say that I have definitely made error based on all the information you shared. So this is so valuable. Thank you so much. Okay, we're going to move on now to tips for storing onions and carrots. This has been one of my nemesis uh, projects over the last two years because I have found that there's two issues for our family. One is, so this year I did two runs of carrots. So we did, I have a large, tall, eight by four uh, gardening bed. So it's very deep. Um, and I did a succession plant of carrots and we got maybe about a quarter of the amount from the initial planting so it was just in between rows Mm -hmm. uh and our family like we have four children and we snack on carrots all season long once they're ready so I found I find like so for this coming up season I'm going to be planting double again I doubled it Mm -hmm. this past year and I'm going to be doubling it again because we just eat a lot of carrots so I'm going to be saying no to other things and because you know you got to grow what your family's eating Mm -hmm. and so carrots is definitely one that we run out by the end of the season I didn't have any left for storage so that's one thing yeah well we just I mean they're so good from the garden they're a whole different vegetable (laughs) absolutely and so that's one thing that I want to know I mean is how to store them. So because that's my hope for next season is to have storage carrots, at least a few. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And then onions um, and potatoes. So where do you want to start with that? Do you want to talk? Which one do you feel? Yeah. Where do you want to start with Uh, onions, carrots, potatoes? Yeah. Yeah. We might as well start with carrots. Okay. Um, So I'm with you. I grow a lot of carrots. Like so my raised beds are four by 10, most of them. And I grow two plus a little bit because my girls plant them in their garden. My son chose not to do his own garden this year, but two raised beds of carrots. I give away lots. I take them everywhere. We store them. So for storing carrots, um, what has worked best for me? And I'm still, I'm actually trying a bit of a new method again this year. Ziploc cells a perforated vegetable bag. I don't, I do have affiliate link for Amazon. I don't know if you can add that into the podcast at all. They're mm, sold out okay. right now. So buy them ahead of time because they sell out every fall. They're a little bit more expensive than regular Ziploc bags, but the airflow, it allows a little bit of airflow through it and maybe helps moisture not build up in the bag. I'm not sure exactly right. what it is about them. But I've had a lot better success in these perforated vegetable bags than the regular Ziploc bags. Mm. So other years, I haven't washed my carrots before I've put them in storage. I've only wiped them with a dry cloth. Because moisture, generally, if you're trying to store something, moisture creates an environment where bacteria grows and things start to break down. Right. So in general, you don't want to wash... Um, anything that you're planning on storing. So this year I did wash my carrots and I left them out to dry. It was quite a windy day and I have a wagon that has like a great bottom. And so I left them out to dry in the shade and 
so I am trying to store washed carrots just partly because I found when they weren't washed, I didn't use as many as I know I use when they're pre-washed. Oh, okay. Um, okay. So then they go in this Ziploc bag. Once they're dry, they go in the Ziploc bag with a, a couple paper towels. So, a pa- you know, two or three just kind of folded and put in there. So the paper towels to help absorb extra moisture. As I talked about, moisture is usually not good for storage. And then those go in the garage fridge. So I get... Like a lot of people, and I don't know about you, you maybe don't have an extra fridge. And I do think that to store a crunchy, fresh carrot without like a true root cellar that can be at, you know, three to five degrees, some more of a fridge temperature, um, I think it's probably difficult because if carrots are in a warmer, like our garage, we keep around 10 degrees, they go soft quickly. Okay. I'm making note to purchase another fridge for next year. <laughs> Lord it's, willing, if we can afford yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> or I don't know if anybody's replacing a fridge. Um, yeah. I think that's where our garage fridge came from. Somebody decided to get a newer model so we could get yeah, one. That's a great idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. Well, what about a mini fridge? That would work as well. Yeah. We do have a mini fridge and it's not overly used. So maybe that. Yeah. Okay. Nobody gets drinks in the mini fridge till the carrots are used up. <laughs> there you go. You, you can do that. Yeah. Yes. Um. So yeah, doing that, I have found my carrots were still um fine for eating fresh in March. And then by the end of March, they were starting to be soft. They were totally fine for cooking and for soups right until um I, I kept a bag partly to see how long are these going to last. So right until May is when I used them up and they were starting to get quite soft by me, like where you could start to bend them a bit. And, mm. but yeah, they did, they stored really well. So that's for carrots and then onions. We're going to talk about onions next. Okay. <laughs> for onion storage. Um, I, and if you have trouble growing onions, definitely read my blog post on the topic because I have three big mistakes I used to make, but I'm going to save those for another time. So yeah, read my blog. Good. Um, so for curing onions, there's some science behind storing them upside down when you're curing them until the top dies that helps them last longer. And it does seem to be the case because I used to just cure them kind of on a metal mesh shell. And now we made out a stucco wire, a frame where we can hang all the onions upside down. And once the tops are fully dead and dried, then you can trim them to about an inch or two, kind of when you think about how much is left on a store-bought onion. And you can trim the roots off and clean those dirty wrappers off. And then hopefully you have somewhere dry with some airflow that you can store the onions. Airflow is good. And um, again, moisture is our enemy for storage. So the drier, the better, essentially. Um... Yeah, and again, onions, we've been able to store a super long time doing that. Another option for storing onions, and I think it's best if you compare these two options, is to chop them. If you have a food processor, you can chop them up in the food processor. And if you have a vacuum sealer, you can use that, or you could just use Ziploc bags. So chop them up, put them into the Ziploc nice and flat on a cookie sheet, and freeze them, and stack some in your freezer that way. So then if, you know, by next June, you your onions are starting to rot and go soft, 
you still have chopped onions you can use in your freezer. That's Plus, a great idea. <laughs> I don't like chopping onions, so I'd rather get like do one day and chop a whole bunch. Um, so I didn't do that last when last fall because I just never got to it, but I regretted mm-hmm. it because yeah, my onions, my red onions stored the longest. Um, for storing onions, also it does depend on the variety because there's a lot of storage varieties. They have a thicker skin, and so if you want to store your onions and to grow onions for your family for the whole year choose some storage varieties to last the longest. And yeah, we just keep our onions out in our garage. So you're saying, just to clarify, red onions store the longest? That was my experience last okay. year. I Walla okay. Wallas, I love the flavor, but they aren't the best storage ones. So I try and make sure I know which ones are my Walla Wallas to use up first. And yeah, the red onions lasted right into June. So yeah. Okay, so you and I both love West Coast seeds, and I know that you have, um, you I have an have affiliate, an, you're link an affiliate with them, them, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. And, um, <clears throat> and so what are your favorites? You just said Walla Walla. Um, I've used the Calibra, I believe okay. that's the Spanish onions, and I grew those this year, and they were awesome. They're very, they're smaller on the smaller mm-hmm. side, but I really, really like them, and they grew well. They, yeah, and I only grew a few. Like I should have put in so many more, so that the, another goal for next year. Um, what are some of your other favorites? Um, I cannot think of any other favorites off the top of my head. So the Walla Walla is basically those have been my favorite, and I okay. am trying to find a favorite storage onion. But yeah, awesome. No, that's good to know. Okay, let's talk about potatoes. So this is my big one, and I'm just gonna lead up with this. I've, every year for the last couple of, well, just the last two years, I have wanted to store potatoes and I have just kept delaying, delaying decisions about it. And now I am stuck with about a hundred potatoes, extra potatoes in my house. <laughs> they are in dark. They're like in my pantry one summer in a box. And because I could not figure out a way, and I had reached out to you. You had given me some good advice, but we have an unheated garage, and so it would have gotten too cold in there, and Mm -hmm. I didn't have a chance to set up something. So I'm really, really asking on behalf of those of us who have found ourselves in this position, what Mm -hmm. is the best way to prepare for storing potatoes? Because all of a sudden, they're all out of the ground, and then you've got them and some mm-hmm. people have a nice setup for it. They have a, a root cellar or a cold room or a heated garage. Mm-hmm. Um, but what about the rest of us? Like, what is a good way to prepare for storing potatoes? All right. So for potatoes, you need to cure them before you put them into storage. Did you do that with yours so that the um, outside will dry? Maybe not. All can right. I cry? So uh, curing, can you explain what a curing sure. potatoes means? Sure. Yeah. So one of the things you want, you want the outside of the potato, the potato peel, to harden up and thicken up as much as possible because the inside of the potato is is moist. And when the outside creates a thicker, drier kind of wrapper on the potato, it again will help so you don't have bacteria growth, which would be the molds and the things that would start your potatoes to rot. Right. So the first step in curing your potatoes is make sure you don't water them for at least two weeks before you harvest them. A lot of people think just because the tops of the potatoes die 
you have to harvest. That's definitely not the case for your storage potatoes. Leave them in the ground as long as you can because when they're in the ground, the outside starts to harden. And as long as the ground's not soaking wet, not too wet, they don't tend to rot or sprout. They tend to store quite well just in the ground after the top dies back. So by the time I went out to harvest my potatoes, the tops were so dead that it was a little bit hard to even figure out where my potatoes were. But you usually can kind of find that dead top and know where to dig. It helps right. to figure out where to dig. So leave them yeah. in the garden as long as possible. Keep the garden as dry as possible. Try and pick a week when you don't expect rain and when you haven't had rain in the last week, if possible. And then lay them out somewhere where they can keep on drying. So where there's really good airflow. Um, I've often done just on our garage floor on a blanket. The darker, the better, because light can make the potatoes start to turn green. So, mm, you know, yes. if it's inside your house on a blanket, that's okay too. Um, and then once the peels seem totally dry and the dirt on the outside of them seems dry, so don't, don't wash the potatoes because otherwise the peels would absorb moisture while you're washing them and it would take a really long time for them to dry out. So okay. just leave the dirt on them and just brush it off once it's dry. Um, you don't want to be putting them together in storage until that dirt is dry enough. You can brush it off anyways. And then for storing in your house, what I would do is I just use um, a plat like a Rubbermaid tote for our potatoes and we buy wood chips from the feed store. So wood shavings are pretty much just something that absorbs moisture that can help separate them so they're not right against each other. And so I layer the bottom of the bin with newspaper, again, something to absorb moisture, and then put some wood chips down. And so you could also use peat moss instead of wood shavings, or you could potentially use straw, like as long as it's really dry straw, if you have straw. And, um, or you probably could just use new layers of newspaper too, if you have that at home and don't have these other things. And then put your potatoes in the bin. And so I kind of layer like shavings, potatoes, shavings, potatoes, and they touch each other a little bit, but I try and space them so that they're not right against each other. So that if one starts to rot, it doesn't start, you know, if any other ones are touching it they'll start to rot as well, where if there's some space between some of the potatoes, they if one does start to go bad, it's not going to rot the whole bunch really quickly. And um, then I just put the, the lid on loosely so I don't actually press it down. Um, so the bin helps keep it a little bit darker in where the potatoes are, and potatoes don't need as much airflow as onions. Don't store potatoes beside onions because storing them together apparently causes potatoes to sprout. I don't know the science behind that either, but mm, it does seem to be the case. Okay. And yeah, so then you just choose the coolest place that you have in your house. You know, maybe it's under the stairs or something like that. And just put the bin there and hopefully they'll last well for you. Another option with potatoes that I haven't done that I would love to do is you can can them. I'm not sure if they have to be pressure canned. I would have to double check that. But I think that's kind of a cool idea. So when you can them, most people will peel them first and can them in some water and salt. I think that's all you need. And um, then if you want to make something like potato salad or mashed potatoes or some fried potatoes, 
it's you just drain them and they're already partly cooked you just kind of heat them back up and can mash them so it would make making mashed potatoes a lot quicker because you wouldn't have to peel them later in the year yeah so if you don't if you're finding they don't store well in your house because it's too warm definitely look into canning them okay because then you could keep them in the house where it's warm right so yeah just another option awesome Awesome. Those are great tips. My goodness. Okay. I'm I'm excited to to tackle some of these things and I'm thinking maybe I just have to take my potatoes like the excess of them and just go in and do a tote um mm-hmm. thing and you're just then you're just keeping it in your house in a cooler spot, is that right? Yes, ours is in our garage because our garage is um it is a heated okay. garage. Mm-hmm. And I have more space out in the garage than I have in the house. So that's where we keep ours. But I do think that if you needed to keep them in your house, that hopefully they still would last for months into the winter and into potatoes usually do store fairly well. Even when they start to sprout, you can just break the sprouts off. And as long Mm -hmm. as you're cooking them, you know, something like a mashed potato, even though they're a little bit soft, that's okay. It doesn't Mm -hmm. matter too much. Yeah. Okay, I have a question for you about composting. Um, so tell me a few of the things that maybe other people compost, you know, like as you're clearing up your garden at the end of the season, you know, I'm pulling all this stuff out of the dirt, all these roots and things, and I'm throwing them in my compost pile, which, um, you know, is, is understand, it's, you know, a common method, I think, for many people, um, freeing, getting that dirt ready. What are the benefits of leaving roots and leaves and old plants excess uh, just different parts of plants on the dirt over winter is that is there a benefit to that um or is it better to throw it in the compost pile um and is there anything that you like to make use of at the end of the season that other people might be tempted to just throw in compost so all good questions there was a few in there so hopefully i can (laughs) touch on each of them um so The benefit of leaving roots and things in your soil is that it does start to break down and it feeds the soil. It feeds the microorganisms in the soil. Microorganisms can be both good and bad, but part of what microorganisms do is they convert different parts of the soil to nutrient forms that plants can use and take up. Um, And the organic matter in the soil kind of helps I don't know about you in BC where you are, but around where I am, a lot of the soil is very high in clay. So it helps break up the clay a little bit and keep it so there's better water flow through the soil. There's more oxygen in the soil. So deciding if you want to pull things up and compost them or if you want to leave them in the soil or if you do want to do half and half, um, Kind of, I would say, just whatever works for you, do that. Definitely don't don't get rid of that organic matter. Hopefully you can have a home compost bin because compost is so good for the soil. Um, I have found that the beds I've topped, either with compost or, um, as you mentioned, maybe leaves, although the leaves don't break down in one season from fall to the next spring, They probably would if they were worked into the soil, but if they're just on top of the soil, they don't seem to break down. But the beds that I top with compost, the soil in those beds is a lot more workable. It's a lot 
um, lighter than the beds that I don't top with compost that tends to become much more compact soil. So I definitely prefer being able to top beds with compost in the fall and just how workable those beds are in the spring. So <laughs> a little bit on the opposite, uh, you talked about um, using, putting everything into your compost. I want to mention maybe, and not saying I do it perfectly, but I don't put any of my tomato plants into my compost. Tomatoes can carry a lot of different types of disease. Um, for instance, blight. And when you put that in your compost, you spread that bacteria all through your compost, which then if you're adding to all your garden beds, it gets through all your garden beds. So tomatoes are something that I kind of throw in the back corner of our yard. I don't compost. And um, yeah, uh, I don't add those back in. And then other things. So if you've had a lot of problems with aphids or you've had problems with slugs or... Um, I had um, fl uh, flea beetles, I think it was, the little yeah. black beetles on my plants. I've those all, all those, yeah. Yeah, often they lay eggs kind of at the soil right at the base of the plant. And so if you've had problems with pests, consider tossing those plants as hard as it is to do because the organic material is good for the soil. You just don't want to end up spreading pest eggs all yeah, over. Absolutely. If your compost is heating up enough, it will help kill some of those things. But at home, sometimes our compost doesn't get right up to heat where it kills all those. So yeah, weeds for sure, those don't go in my compost ever. Those go in a separate bin. And if you have chickens like I do, chickens are wonderful to go along with a garden because you can feed all those things. Well, not, not the um, tomato tops because those are a nightshade. But a lot of the other things you can feed to the chickens and they eat them. So nice. um, yes. So then once again, you're going to have to keep me on track and remind me all your questions. No, oh, you've what? answered. I think you've answered them all. That's excellent um, yeah, advice. Like, um, but yeah, said, the other part was, are there any things that you like to make use of? Mm -hmm. Um uh for instance, for me, what I found so fun this year was I used the tops, corn tops, and a whole bunch of other dried items for bouquets. And oh, that wow. was so much fun to do. And um, the leaves, the leaves, the dried leaves off of corn stalks, mm -hmm. oh my goodness, they are beautiful in dried arrangements. And so I found more of the aesthetic fun. But do you have any other things that you like to use um, at the end of the season? Um, You know what? I feel like I don't have a lot. I do save some of the carrot tops for stock. By the end of the season, I get so overwhelmed feeling with trying to get, to get everything done that yeah. um, I really try to give myself actually permission that if I have to throw some, some things away or some things don't get harvested, that that's okay. Usually those things mm -hmm. go to the chickens, so they still get used somewhat. Right. But um, yeah, lately I've grown kind of... I, I get a little bit burnt out, so it's more, you know, I'm just going to leave this. So um, also just comes to mind sunflowers, if you grow those, leaving them in your garden, it helps prevent a wind block. So you talked about covering the surface of your soil with something, and I kind of mentioned it as well. That helps from the wind taking some of that best 
topsoil off our garden. Um, so leaving a few plants in your garden over the winter isn't a bad thing. Okay. Sunflowers, the birds just love to eat them, or I cut the heads during the winter and I'll give them to the chickens once in a while. So those are something that, yeah, I leave till the next spring to actually clean out of my garden. Um, yeah, and I love the idea of using the corn tops in bouquets. That's a really cool idea. Besides, yeah, we had a great time doing that this year with friends and just putting together all these different dried arrangements. So oh, I beautiful. thought they were beautiful. Yeah, mm-hmm, such a nice mm-hmm. fall arrangement. Yeah. And if you have a chance in the fall in your garden, I don't know if you like to collect seeds, but I always have fun going out there and collecting a few seeds from those things that die. I'm usually not in a hurry to pull things like peas out. When they die in the spring, I leave them right till fall. And then if I want, there's usually some dead pods on there and I can collect some pea seeds, things like that. Yes. can be fun to do in the fall. And it's actually, it's so fun to do with the kids. That was one of my favorite end of season things this year and last um, is just going and finding, you know what, one of the fun ones, I actually posted this in my Insta stories, but I believe it was, oh man, I'm going to have to go back and look. I can't remember if it was Malva that have Mm -hmm. this, that when they dry, is it Malva? Mm-hmm. The centers, they look like a button and the seeds are underneath the little button. Oh, maybe it wasn't Malva. But anyways, so, so good. Um, just so much fun exploring and finding all these new things. Mm-hmm. Okay, so any final thoughts on um, wrapping up the garden um, at the end of the season? Any tips for just kind of closing things up and preparing for the next planting season? Um, just the more that you can do to get your soil ready to plant in, in the spring, the easier the spring is. I do find that there's always a lot to do in the spring as well. But, you know, uh, really pacing yourself and just doing what you can. Um, also as far as we've talked about growing some different things and growing enough to save for our families. And I just want to encourage anybody who's really starting out and feels like, oh man, I have so far to go before I'm there where I'm growing enough food to store over the winter for our family. Definitely just focus on, on starting small, you know, just choose one or two things to grow if that's what you have space for. And just try and add something new every year if you can, or add a little bit more every year if you can. Definitely where I'm at now, I have always planted a bit of a garden. In the one place I was, it was just growing in pots outside the door. And another time I had a community garden I rented. Um, I've had some pretty small spaces that I've been gardening. And then after moving here, it's taken a while to get to where I am now. So uh, yeah, I just want to encourage any of you who are starting out on your gardening journey not to try to take it all on at once, um, but just the w- kind of one year at a time, one step at a time. Yeah, great advice. I love it. Thank you, Krista, so much for joining me today again and sharing all of this advice and wisdom. Um, I will make sure in our show notes that we've got a link to your website for people to go to. Um, and it's worth mentioning that you offer um, coaching. Yeah. Um, I love gardening. Coaching. I love talking anything gardening. Yes. yes. And I also, you... 
I have a gardening course that I did last spring. So it's a complete, you know, from planning your garden to planting to taking care of your garden and watering your garden. I have a gardening course that I do offer. So if people are interested in that, definitely check that out too. I will make sure that that's included and that people have a link to that. So thanks again, Krista. I appreciate your time so much. It's been great chatting with you. Well, that was fun. Gardening is one of my greatest joys, and I hope you've been inspired to try um, everything that uh, Krista shared with us today, if it was new to you especially. And I hope hope you picked up some things that are really going to help you to um, dive in a little more thoroughly and with a little more excitement for the next planting season. Krista has offered our listeners a discount off of all the products and services that she offers on her website. So make sure to check out zone3vegetablegardening.com. We'll leave that in the show notes and use the code motherhood for 10% off. Thank you for listening friends and do make sure you're following along for updates on new episodes. Click that subscribe button and maybe consider leaving a review if this or another episode has been a blessing to you. See you back here again for the next episode of Knowing Motherhood.